This is Hebrews 2020. We see Jesus and its increment 272. And it's going to concern Hebrews in toto, the total homily called Hebrews, our heavenly homily. And today is going to be a little bit different, or this, this evening, this Wednesday evening service, is going to be a reflection on the New Covenant community and vertical finality. But most of all, it's a meditation on God. Be still and know that he is God. Our God is a consuming fire, Hebrews 12.29. That's true. But it's also true that our God is. That God simply is and that we can be still and know that God is. For our God simply is. Gar ho theos hemon. The following then is a reflection, a meditation. It's intended to be a refreshing pause for the desert wanderers whose wandering is not aimless drifting, but a pilgrimage. It is an exercise of deep calling out to deep, of the deep things of God calling to the depths of our spirits. It is not intended, this message, to be a straightforward teaching tonight, though there will be some of that involved. It's contemplation. It's designed not so much to incite action, but to induce rest, to make us be still and know that God is God, that God is for us, that God has made us and not we ourselves, that our sufficiency is from him and not from ourselves, that he is in us, that he wills and does in us, that God who in Christ reconciled the world to himself is in Christ, in us, appealing to the world to align to that reality of reconciliation, the reality that is Jesus, who is our peace. Within this meditation, we'll give clear definition to the terms we've mentioned before called obediential potency, the beatific vision, vertical finality, and the fourth manifestation of vertical finality. I've mentioned all these things in our teaching, and I want to give a little clear definition to what they are and how they relate to the New Covenant community and how they relate to us. In this meditation, this act of reflection, we will hopefully proceed under the hegemonic spirit from obscurity to a little better clarity. For the Holy Spirit is in the business of making things clear, like making clear the way into the heavenly holy of holies, a blood-paved highway, Hebrews 9, 8 and 10, 20. The Holy Spirit makes everything clear. 
He's portrayed in Revelation 22.1 as a crystal clear river proceeding from the throne of God and of the Lamb. He makes us see all things and all people clearly in the light of an already accomplished reconciliation. He makes us see Jesus clearly as encompassing in himself all of uncreated and created reality. All of the uncreated reality of God who is love and of all created reality, the loved by God. This reflection will also be an exercise in going beyond what and how we normally think and imagine, for we will be contemplating him who does beyond what we can ask or think. First, I'll ask vertical finality. What is it? A while ago, I introduced a term called vertical finality. This term, at the time when I first brought it forward, was a kind of spiritual cryptocurrency. It had the mysterious suggestion of value and utility, but it was not fully defined. I was first made aware of the expression vertical finality while reading an article on marriage by Bernard Lonergan in one of the volumes of the Lonergan collection. Vertical finality was reawakened in me in a conversation and a brief correspondence with my friend Tom Bonnet and then by Wolfgang Smith's concept of vertical causality as nucleated in several of his recent books. It seems like there's a relationship between these two notions, vertical finality and vertical causality, though to my knowledge, neither scholar, Lonergan and Smith, ever mentioned the other in his writings. I've lately gleaned other references to vertical finality from Lonergan's writings, and I hope to salt them throughout this meditation. First, by finality, Lonergan means, quote, not the end in itself, but a relation to the end. Moreover, by vertical movement, Lonergan means, quote, an increasing proficiency in integrated perception and in appropriate and coordinated response. Note these two concepts, an increasing proficiency in integrated perception and in appropriate and coordinated response. Because of both of these observations, I would take vertical finality, that is, I would define it to be the movement of a higher integration of human living toward an end, a goal, an objective, that being the glorification of God in our bodies, which are God's. That our bodies belong to God doesn't just mean that he, he owns them, but that he moves in them, he lives in them, he wills in them, he walks in them. This is a vertical ascent that we're talking about. Our spiritual life is a vertical 
ascent, A-S-C-E-N-T. However, this ascent is met by a vertical descent, God condescending to meet man in man's ascent. God then, willing and working in man, to bring about an end which is in accord with God's good pleasure. The vertical ascent of the Son of Man was preceded by the vertical descent from heaven of the Son of Man, followed in turn by his ascent, his lifting up on the cross, followed by his being taken down from the cross and laid in a sepulcher, followed in turn by his resurrection and ascension, his exaltation, enthronement, his present royal session, and priestly intercession. Our vertical spiritual ascent, we might call our spiritual life ascent, is also preceded by and accompanied by the descent of humility, of humbling ourselves under the mighty hand of God, our infinitely loving Father. He then lifts us up so that our vertical ascent is God living in us, for us, acting in us, on us, and for us. For as the scripture says, humble yourselves under the powerful hand of God, and he will raise you up. Another succinct observation by Lonergan with regard to vertical finality, he says vertical finality is to an end higher than the proportionate end. It supposes a hierarchy of entities and ends. It supposes a subordination of the lower to the higher. So I would say spiritual life as a vertical ascent necessarily entails an increasing proficiency in integrated perception and in appropriate and coordinated response. What is a meeting of the assembly? What is a meeting of Tetelestai Phalanx? What is our gathering together, whether in person or online? It is a people, a coordinated, called out ecclesia, in increasing proficiency and in integrated perception, hearing the word of God, and in appropriate and coordinated response. Believing the word of God. For the humble are those who hear the soul who boasts in the Lord. Who is the preacher but he who boasts in the Lord? The humble hear that boast in the Lord and rejoice. This is integrated perception being honed. They hear with the hearing ear which the Lord made when making them, us, that is, in his image. When God makes us in his image, he makes a hearing ear and a seeing eye in us. For the Lord makes both the hearing ear and the seeing eye, says Proverbs 20.12, when creating us in Christ Jesus, in Ephesians 2.10. Again, we hear and rejoice 
in Psalm 34 too. And I'm not going to quote all the verses I have in this meditation, though they will appear in print. We hear and rejoice. This is our coordinated perception and response. For we share in the joy of Jesus himself by our welcoming of his word. As the word of God, we receive his word as the word of God, which has its own effectual operation in us, along with the Holy Spirit. God in us working. God in us willing, even beneath the working. God in us living, moving, having his being as we live and move and have our being in him as his children. That is Acts 17.28, incidentally, where Paul called all human beings God's children. The fruit of the Spirit, writes Paul, is love. Then immediately he writes joy. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. When we are arrested and held by the love of Christ, we are partakers of his joy. This joy is love joy. Love that rejoices in the truth in 1 Corinthians thirteen six. It rejoices in the truth as it is in Jesus in Ephesians four twenty one and 24. Love the product of the hegemonic spirit's outpouring of the love of God in our hearts, rejoices in the truth that is in Jesus. Love does not rejoice in my truth, but in the truth, which it makes into my truth. For if anyone is in Christ Jesus, she or he is of the new creation. All the old has passed away for us, including our old notions of what is true, apart from the reality that is in Jesus, the reality that is Jesus, the reality of God that is Jesus. And it's the meek and the teachable whom he teaches. As we're engaged in vertical finality, in humility, our proficiency in hearing what the Spirit is saying to the churches increases, as does our appropriate and coordinated response, a response called, and we shouldn't be afraid of this word, obedience. It's an obedience which results from the laws of God namely his commands to love, being written in our minds and inscribed on our hearts, inclining us toward an intention of love, and also from the leading and empowerment of the Lord, the Spirit. Vertical finality is, in the closing words of Peter's second epistle, and I would say, this is me saying this, and I surmise this, Vertical finality is growing in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom belongs the glory both now and forever. In the nunc stands the permanent now that pertains both to time and eternity. 
The knowledge of God seems to be an esoteric thing when we consider Jesus' words in Matthew 11. And he said this, no one knows the Son except the Father, and no one knows the Father except the Son, and anyone to whom the Son wills to reveal him. It sounds esoteric. But in Jeremiah 31, 34, which we just read about in Hebrews 8, 12, all will know me, says the Lord. You can't get more exoteric than that. That which appears in Matthew eleven twenty seven to be esoteric, the Son chooses to reveal the Father to whomsoever he will, is revealed to be God's will for all, for all will know him, because obviously the Son wills ultimately to reveal the Father to all. That which appears in Matthew eleven twenty seven to be esoteric is revealed in the prophecy of the new covenant to be universal one day, namely in future world. Now in volume four of the Lonergan collection called simply Collection, I found this about vertical finality. Vertical finality, he says, is of the very idea of our hierarchic universe, of the ordination of things devised and exploited by the divine artisan. For the cosmos is not an aggregate of isolated objects, hierarchically arranged on isolated levels, but a dynamic whole, W-H-O-L-E, in which instrumentally, dispositively, materially, obediently, one level of being or activity subserves another. Now there's a few phrases in this I want to pick up on because this relates to the entity that is called the church, the body of Christ, the new covenant community, which also, like the cosmos itself, is not an aggregate of isolated objects, hierarchically arranged on isolated levels, but a dynamic whole in which instrumentally, dispositively, materially, obediently, one level of being or activity subserves another. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. Vertical finality and vertical causality both have to do with our hierarchic universe. There is God. There are the archangels, the angels, the thrones, the dominions. There is man. There is the animal kingdom. There is the bestial. There is the material. There is the rational. There is the subrational. There is the atomic, the subatomic. We have a hierarchic universe. Moreover, both vertical finality and vertical causality can describe the living entity called the called-out community, ecclesia, which is Christ's body. Christ's body. For neither is that community an aggregate of isolated objects, hierarchically arranged on isolated levels, But the church, which is Christ's body, the new covenant community, is a dynamic whole 
Consequently, both terms, vertical finality and vertical causality, have not only a cosmological meaning, but also a Christological meaning and an ecclesiological application. Both Bernard Lonergan and Wolfgang Smith agree that the universe is an integral, dynamic, and unified whole, and that there are subservient levels. Smith observes and recognizes that there is the corporeal, the intermediate, and the eternal levels or tiers of reality in the single universe. Moreover, he rejects the idea of a multiverse. There is simply a universe with corporeal, aveternal, and eternal tiers of being. Both Lonergan's vertical finality and Smith's vertical causality have to do with the creation the ordination and the coordination of all things by God, the divine artisan. Both of these men agree with the author of Hebrews, who calls God, he for whom and through whom all things exist, and the builder of all things. And we know from Romans that all things which exist through and for him are to return to him, in a final act of restoration, which is also an act of reconciliation, redemption, and universal new creation. In the end, God will be all and in all. Now, since we, the New Covenant community, are urged to be part of a coordinated response to God's grace, And because we as individuals are commanded to glorify God in our bodies, which belong to God, then this must be our own personal individual act of vertical finality within the cosmological act and within the Christological act, God acting in the man, Christ Jesus, and in his corporate body, the new covenant community. I'm deliberately speaking not only of different things, but in a different way than I usually speak, to broaden our horizon, to hone our perceptivity, and our integrated response of obedience to God. But most of all, to induce rest, for faith only works when it works by love. Faith works, but first, First, faith rests in God's love before faith works by love. God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself. And God is in the body of Christ, corporate, continuing the act of that reconciliation in the ministry of reconciliation and through the word of reconciliation that he has committed to his apostolate, ambassadors of Christ, in whom Christ moves and lives and has his being and pronounces his message. 
we, the New Covenant community, have been created in Christ Jesus for, and that's epi in the Greek with the dative of purpose, for a life of benevolent actions prepared by God for us to do. And actions that are completed, as Revelation 3.2 calls them, as God puts forth the willing and the doing in us. An act is only complete if it is put forth by the willing and the doing of God in us. That's a new covenant idea, incidentally. Jeremiah 31, 31 to 34, and Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27, compared with Ephesians 2.10 and Philippians 2.13. Those benevolent actions include, very significantly, operation in the ministry of reconciliation, itself a ministry of the new covenant, not of the letter, of the spirit, not of the letter, of life, not of death, of righteousness or justification, not of condemnation. It is a ministry by which we make our appeal to the world, be reconciled to God, for God has reconciled you to himself in Christ. He who knew no sin became sin for us all so that we would become the righteousness of God in him. God has so acted in Christ as to reconcile the sin-alienated world to himself. Now God acts in us, making his appeal through us to the world. God, with his universally saving intent, is in us. God, with his universally saving intent, is in us. His intentionality of love is in us and becomes our intentionality. He makes his appeal through us to the world. God, with his universally saving intent, in us, the new covenant community, willing the good for every person. He is in us doing that which is to his own good pleasure, and his own good pleasure is to extend his blessedness to all that he has made. God's great joy is to catch up his creation in his own joy. His own good pleasure is the extension of his blessedness and pleasure into all that he's made. Now, what am I doing here? This is an unusual message. We have to become unusual once in a while. And this message is actually designed to create a capacity in us to receive more because a lot more is coming in the Hebrews homily. A lot more to challenge, a lot more to bless, a lot more to do the work of God in us. What am I doing? Well, right now I'm making a connection between the cosmological meaning of vertical finality and vertical causality and the spiritual life meaning and application of vertical finality and vertical causality. There is a vertical causation of us in Christ Jesus, meaning 
We were created in Christ Jesus in Ephesians 2.10. According to the image of our creator, we were created in righteousness and purity of the truth. If we want to conflate Ephesians 4.24 with Colossians 3.10. Likewise, our works, the works that God has prepared for us to walk in, in Ephesians 2.10, are caused by the divine will and power in us while we go from lower and more obscure levels of perceptivity to sharper and sharper spiritual vision and from lower levels of arousal and desire, spiritually speaking, to a strong hunger and thirst for righteousness, a more burning and fervent love for one another and a fervent longing to be finally and forever with the Lord in the beatific vision. In these times, God is creating a coordinated response to himself in his people, a coordinated response. He imparts to us what is named an obediential potency. Now, I said this is a contemplation, but that doesn't mean it's vague. I'm giving definition to terms, or at least clarity, to certain terms that may have come to us in obscurity. I'll ask a twofold question. What is the fourth manifestation of vertical finality? And what is obediential potency? Just to throw these words into the mix would be just kind of pedantic and kind of show-offish. So I'm giving definition to them. What is the fourth manifestation of vertical finality? I've spoken of it before, and it's caused people to question. And then what is obediential potency? First, what is meant by the fourth manifestation of vertical finality? Without belaboring the meaning of each of these four manifestations, let's just refer to them by name as named by Lonergan. As you can tell, Lonergan is one of the most, the prime movers in, in the human realm of my understanding of God and theology in general, and a mentor. I will be quoting less and less of him and Moltmann and others who are my mentors as we progress in the years to come. But I'm picking up and gathering up six or seven months of teaching in this one meditation. So I will refer to Lonergan at least six times, maybe seven in this message. He says that as far as the four manifestations of vertical finality, the four are this. One, instrumental. I'll let you do your own thinking on that one. Second, dispositive, of course, having to do with disposition. Third is material, and the fourth, that's the only one we're interested in. The fourth manifestation of vertical finality is obediential. Obediential, yes, it's a word, it might not be in your dictionary, but it is a word among the medieval scholars and scholastics and Lonergan. We're concerned only with the fourth manifestation of vertical finality, that being the obediential manifestation. 
And this is where only a direct quote of Lonergan suffices for the moment to bring a bit more clarity to our subject. This is one of those sublime quotes, one of those exquisite quotes from a theologian. And you, there are very few of these, and they're precious when you find them. But I'm going to quote this from Lonergan. The fourth manifestation of vertical finality is when a concrete plurality of rational beings have the obediential potency to receive the communication of God himself. Such is the mystical body of Christ with its head in hypostatic union, its principle unfolding in the inhabitation of the Holy Spirit by sanctifying grace and its ultimate consummation in the beatific vision which Aquinas explained on the analogy of soul and body. Let's look at this, the elements of this. The fourth manifestation of vertical finality is when a concrete plurality, what is the church? What is the new covenant community? It's a concrete plurality of rational beings. That's us. It's humanity in general, but it's a new covenant community in a little more particularity, and it's to tell us thy phalanx, our little church, in even more particular particularity. Particularity. <laughs> the fourth manifestation of vertical finality is when a concrete plurality of rational beings have the obediential potency. Now, you can be a concrete plurality of rational beings, thinking beings, willing beings, intentional beings, but not have obediential potency. So a new covenant community in the will of God is not just a concrete plurality of rational beings, but a concrete plurality of rational beings with the obediential potency to receive the communication of God himself. I love how Hebrews starts, says, God, who spoke in fragmental, in a fragmentary way in the prophets, has spoken in a son. What does it mean that God has spoken in a son? It means that God has chosen to communicate himself to us in his son. Obediential potency is a grace capacity for us to receive that communication of God himself. Lonergan goes on to say, such is the mystical body of Christ with its head in hypostatic union. That means Christ, of course, partakes as one person of two natures, divine and human. He is the head of the body. And that's how we partake of the divine nature as human beings. Our head is in hypostatic union. Then that mystical body of Christ, of which we are a part, has its principle unfolding in the inhabitation of the Holy Spirit. If the Holy Spirit did not indwell us, nothing would be meaningful. Nothing would be availing or accomplishing anything. By sanctifying grace 
and its ultimate consummation in the beatific vision. As we are inhabited by the Spirit and moving in an integrated obediential potency, receiving the communication of God himself, we have a finality before us in a beatific vision. Now, obediential potency, then, in my definition, would be the power of grace from Jesus Christ and from the Lord, the Spirit of grace, to receive the communication of God himself and thus to be filled with all the fullness of God. To receive Jesus is to receive him who sent him. It is to receive the communication of God himself. Obediential potency begins with the God-given capacity to hear and to heed what the Spirit is saying to the New Covenant community, which is a coordinated movement of a higher integration of human living toward an end, that end being the glorification of God in our bodies, which are God's, and in Christ's collective body, which is God's church. Obediential potency is the latent power of God in us which becomes overt, it actually becomes overt words and deeds in the community that rests in him and allows his power to rest upon them. So I'll ask this question, what is this beatific vision? Lonergan said it's the ultimate consummation of the body of Christ is found in the beatific vision. Well, what is the beatific vision? Well, we, are, we know we are headed to the beatific vision, just as Abraham and all the resident aliens and temporary tourists in this world in Hebrews 11 were looking for the eternal city of God. The elder John describes the beatific vision as a seeing of God, a vision of God that becomes internalized a total apprehension of God as he is in himself and the simultaneous becoming like him. That is 1 John 3, 2, if you're looking for a hook from the word. The beatific vision is a beatifying vision. The actual partaking of the vision of it beatifies, transfigures the viewer. It's when we see God as he is in his essence. It is a seeing which was impossible without a man or woman dying, according to Exodus 33.20. No man sees me and lives, God said to Moses. But it is a seeing that we will all partake of after death or after our transformation from mortality to immortality. But can we see God now in some measure? Well, it says we died already. And our life is hid with Christ in God. So need we be afraid of dying if we see his face? Or in the seeing of his face, are we actually caused to live?
The beatific vision will be our approach to the unapproachable light and our transfiguration into the likeness of God who is light and who is love. It is this hope that not only sustains and stabilizes, but also sanctifies and purifies us in this time in between the two great eschatological cosmic alterations that we've been talking about. Having this hope is having a good hope by grace. An expectancy that works hand in hand with sanctifying grace. That's why John says he or she who has this hope in him or her purifies himself or herself even as he is pure. It's not that we are the purifiers of ourselves per se. No. It's that we allow the pure words of God to course like a crystal clear river in our minds and hearts. He that sanctifies is the Father. He sanctifies us in his truth. His word is truth. His word is pure. Christ is the truth, and he is pure. Jesus is pure, and we are pure as he is in this world, if we are as he is in this world. And that simply means to be pure in heart. And blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. To see Jesus is to see God the Father. Oh, and uh, we see Jesus. They that are sanctified are one entity with him, the sanctifier. They, the new covenant community, which we can also call we, purify ourselves by an operation, by operation and by livingness in him, simply. By the Holy Spirit, by unaffected sincere love, by God's power, not by working, but by resting in his love in a love that works with faith, in a resting faith that works by love. Faith rests until it works by love. Faith only works by love, by the love of God being poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who is given to us. So faith only acts when it acts in love, when it's moved by love. And so the smallest little acts in life can be acts of love. Even as the great sacrificial acts of life that maybe end our lives on earth are acts of love. That's why the scripture says, for we through the spirit wait for the realized hope of righteousness by faith. And for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision accomplishes anything. What avails, or what gets the job done, says the scripture, is faith working through love. You see, it's not even we waiting by faith, but we through the spirit waiting by faith. We through the spirit of faith. We by God in us. We, through the Lord, the Spirit. We, through the Spirit of grace. We, by the, the hegemonic Spirit, the holy, the sanctifying, the purifying Spirit. Our God who is and who is a consuming fire. God is love 
and our God is a consuming fire are not contradictory statements. God is in us a consuming fire, consuming all thoughts of condemnation, of death, of fear, of guilt, and even of oughts and shoulds of pseudo-piety and human meritorious thinking. Consider again Lonergan, this time from Insight, his masterpiece. Page 493, he said, what may be named vertical movement is an increasing proficiency in integrated perception and in appropriated and coordinated response. In other words, we simply get better in our hearing, sharper in our seeing, and more appropriate in our coordinated response. Again, the proper response to the communication of the word of God and of God himself is faith. But faith is an absolutely supernatural, a purely divine gift. This faith is associated integrally and indispensably with grace. This faith works with and by love, which also is absolutely supernatural. Hey, Philadelphia is like hey, agape. Hey, Philadelphia, brotherly love, fraternal love, integrally and inextricably linked to agape. And so in Hebrews 13, 1, following our God is a consuming fire, it says, let brotherly love continue. It's a burning love, a fervent love, a continually burning love. Let it continue. It's one of the supernatural virtues or fruits listed in 2 Peter 1.8. Listed in 2 Peter 1.5-7, culminating in 1.8, and compared with Galatians 5.22-23. These supernatural virtues, which are in fact God's faith, hope, and love, are essential for renaissances in history for recovery of history from downtrends like the one we're in now. This faith is integrally admixed with absolutely supernatural hope. For faith is by definition in Hebrews, the assurance and substance of hoped for things. Faith elsewhere is described as obedience. Paul speaks of the obedience of faith, both in his opening and closing lines in Romans. 1 5 and 16 26. In vertical finality, this obediential response undergoes sharper honing and finer tuning. The hearing ear gets more sharply attuned to the still small voice of the Spirit. The seeing eyes of the heart see a sharper and sharper image of Christ, the image of God, so that the hearer and the seer become more and more conformed to the Lord's image and to his disposition of poverty of spirit and obedience to the Father. May God grant us the gift of poverty of spirit because the poor in spirit own the kingdom of heaven. We're speaking here of vertical finality, not of the end itself, which is the beatific vision, but of the ongoing integrated movement to the end, 
which is not a movement of one isolated individual or of a scattered multitude of isolated communities, but one single and coordinated movement like that of the coordination of the whole human body in combination of elements in a single human biological process. This whole process is Christ in me and Christ in us bodily. And there is one body, even as there is one Lord, one baptism by one spirit, one Father, one hope of our calling, that hope being the final universal transfiguration that accompanies the beatific vision had by all, all humans, all creatures. And I want to close with a little meditation on the New Covenant community. We've already considered that throughout this period of contemplation. The New Covenant community, which we abbreviate as NCC throughout Hebrews, is a people whom God, the faithful covenant God, has called into fellowship with his son. In 1 Corinthians 1.9, in whom there is a longing for God. The beatific vision. I'll say that again. The new covenant community is a people whom the faithful covenant God has called into fellowship with his son. A community in whom there is a longing for God. An appetition for God. That's another term we may look at down the road. A longing for the beatific vision. The significance of the ascension of Christ to the right hand of the majesty in the heavens which is the centerpiece of Hebrews, is that Jesus took the human essence with him into the triune God. All of the human essence. Not just his own human essence, but the human essence per se. And in that sense, all human essence. And I've mentioned this before. The New Covenant community is told that they have been raised up and seated together in Christ Jesus in the heavens. Because of this, because Christ, in his ascension, took human essence with him, all of it. As the divine Son of God assumed the human nature, so all humans become partakers of the divine nature in him. And this is the significance, or at least part of the significance, of our having such a great archpriest seated, enthroned, at the right side of majesty, God himself in heaven. Jesus' significance is universal in the anthropological sense and in the cosmological sense, because in assuming humanity, he more generally became flesh, associating himself with his entire beloved but fallen creation. As the new covenant community in one sense is in heaven and seated in Christ Jesus, it is also on earth and suffering. And Barth was right to call us his afflicted but well-equipped servants. We're on earth and suffering, filling up that which is yet to be experienced of the sufferings of Christ in his corporate body. There are the atoning sufferings of Christ on the cross in the singular human body of Jesus. 
But there is also the suffering of the corporate body of Christ, which has yet to be filled up and is filled up in us. Moreover, Christ, who is in heaven, seated, enthroned, crowned with glory and honor, is also in his church, the provisional proleptic new covenant community, in his church on earth. In this time in between the two great alterations that we've spoken so much of, he co-suffers with his church, and his church co-suffers. Our word sympathy comes from two Greek prefixes or suffixes, sum and pathos, suffering together. He co-suffers with his church, and his church co-suffers with him, as we know from Hebrews 2.17 and 18, and 1 Peter 4.14-19. But in this time in between, the Lord, the Spirit, the Spirit of glory, rests upon the suffering new covenant community. The new covenant community, to pick up and gather themes from further long ago, the new covenant community is the penultimate stage of the end of redemption and the fourth manifestation of vertical finality, the obediential manifestation. And we thank you, Father, for this privilege. Just a privilege of thinking, contemplating, and reflecting. Knowing simply that you are. That you are in us. That you are for us. That you are with us. And that you have your movement, your moving, your living, your being in us. As we move and live and have our being in you. So we have this wonderful freedom of moving and having our being, deciding and living, and knowing while we move and live and decide and do that you are in us moving and living and deciding and doing. We need not trouble ourselves or complicate our minds, but just to know this. We are in Christ and Christ is in us, that you are in us, Father, willing and doing of your own good pleasure. And may your own good pleasure become our own good pleasure. And we know that your good pleasure is the extension of blessing into all that you've made and all that you've created. And may all that you have created and let all breath, all that has breath, praise you, Father. We anticipate the day when this will come to pass. In Jesus' name, amen.